So the Boston Red Sox used to have a player called Nomar Garcia Para. Good player, great at-bat routine. Before every pitch, he would come out of the batter's box, adjust his gloves, he had an armband on one arm, tug at that a little bit. He'd do that like 20 times, I'm not sure how many. But then he'd step back into the box and he'd start tapping his left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, and then he'd settle in for the next pitch. And he would do that before every single pitch. I mean, watching him at bat actually drove me nuts because it would take a long time for it to be done. Which makes me think about some of our routines. We have routines as we prepare ourselves for the day because we know a fastball might come, a curveball might come, never know what might come. There's a cottage industry, because a lot of us uh, have this routine, around the phrase, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee, right? It's coffee. You knew it was coffee. It wasn't tea. I'm saying that for my wife. She's a tea drinker. Anyway, there's a lot of mugs you can buy that say, don't talk to me until I drink, I've had my coffee. My favorite variation on this theme is a mug that has three lines on its side, and the top line says, shh, and the middle line says, almost, and then near the bottom of the mug, it says, now you may speak. Offering attention, despite all the things going on in our heads, honing our focus, despite our fatigue, it's tough. And so we develop elaborate routines, maybe drink caffeine, we know we want to be ready for the fastball that might be coming or the curveball that might freeze us otherwise. The resurrection of our Lord was a curveball for the disciples. The whole week, in fact, leading up to the first Easter was full of curveballs, and each and every time those disciples, when one crossed the plate, they froze up, as a good curveball does. They just watched events pass by. Our story today picks up with Cleopas and another who are walking to Emmaus, a village outside Jerusalem, and they don't recognize him right away, but Jesus joins them on the road. So they run back to Jerusalem to find the eleven, to tell them, the Lord has risen indeed. And they explained what happened to them on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, that doesn't make immediate sense to me. It's one of those things that maybe we've heard it so many times we don't really think about it. What does one have to do with the other? You know, what is breaking the bread? What does that have to do with rising from death? How did that moment, the breaking of the bread, make Jesus recognizable? Well, what does messing with your batting gloves and armbands and tapping your toes have to do with hitting a baseball? What does drinking coffee have to do with remembering it's your anniversary or whatever? The routine, the caffeine, these are all habits we do to make us alert, to make us notice, to make us ready. Some things we do, we do because we know it will lead to another thing. We do things that bring our minds, bodies, and souls to a state where we are ready to receive certain things or maybe ready to give certain things. These disciples from this road to Emmaus, they didn't just like learn about resurrection as though they had sat through a lecture. They had experienced 
the resurrection for themselves. Now, that might sound weird because you might think that the resurrection can only be experienced if they die, like you, you only rise once you're dead. I'm saying they experienced what the resurrection of Jesus meant for them and what the resurrection of Jesus can mean for us and for the whole world. They experienced what it means that Jesus didn't remain dead. See, the resurrection is not just an event that happened to Jesus that we either believe in or don't. On Easter Sunday, we, we focus on the, the event that happened to Jesus, and that's a good place to start. But we can't regard that moment as just some other important date in history that happened to someone else. The resurrection of our Lord means so much more than a one-time historical event that only happened to some Jew half a world away two millennia ago. We believe that the resurrection of Jesus gave birth to an ongoing reality that we can access, that we can experience for ourselves, and we expect to have that experience again today like within the next half hour. It's like a story Bill Baum told me years ago. Bill was a longtime member of First Lutheran. He'd have been worshiping with us right now at 8 o'clock. He died a couple weeks ago. His funeral was this past Wednesday. And I told this story there and then too. As Bill's wife Bev was dying slowly five years ago, he told me the story about how they met. So imagine me, and 80-year-old Bill and his wife of 60 years, all in their living room where Bev's bed had to be. So in your mind's eye, maybe that looks like a sad scene to you. But it wasn't. Because Bill and Bev weren't only then and there. They were also living through the ongoing reality caused by an event of more than 60 years before that. And so, actually, the scene that I'm trying to paint was pretty beautiful. So, picture it. This is the story he told me. Lacrosse in the early 1950s. Bill told me he and a friend were on their way to a movie at the old Hollywood Theater. They stopped into what was the Cottage Cafe across the street from what is now the cathedral. They were there to talk to Bill's cousin, Mary, who was with Bev. And as Bill said, that was the best movie I never did see. There was no way he or Bev or anybody else could know that that would be the beginning of a partnership, a love life, a marriage in which God would make one from two. It was one of those stories, and Bill was one of those storytellers, that just pulled me in, even as we were all together approaching Bev's death. Bill and Bev meeting 65 years ago, what God was up to that day is not something to believe in or not. <laughs> it's not just an historical moment that meant something to Bill and Bev. In that moment, God began creating an ongoing reality that I was able to experience with Bill and Bev 60 years later as he remained joyfully faithful to vows that he'd made in sickness and in health. Their marriage was a reality 
that shaped not only themselves, but others who knew them. That's what the resurrection of Jesus is like, too. It is a love event. When God began creating a new creation, a new ongoing reality that after it happened, the world couldn't be the same. The resurrection of Jesus wasn't meant just for Jesus. It's God's way of recreating everything for everyone. It affects every other who has ever known Jesus. Bill and Bev living in love, that shaped their kids and that influenced their friends who were trying to be married too. Their marriage did not only belong to and affect them. It affected a community, including this one at First Lutheran. The resurrection, too, shapes everything and has the power to influence and affect everyone. What stories are shaping you? What attitudes or moods or worries or concerns or issues are being shaped in this world and then shape you? I, I was driving through Ferryville yesterday and there was a big queue sprayed on a public retaining wall. Conspiracy theories can shape us. Partisan battles between elected officials can shape us. The heavy pall hanging over our whole nation as we wrestle with justice and racial equity, what those look like. I could go on with a pretty extensive list of attitudes and moods and worries and concerns and issues that have the power to shape our days and influence our emotional health and even affect our relationship with God. Here's what we Jesus followers have been equipped to do. Baptized into the faith of Jesus, we can also make ourselves attentive to the largest, the truest truth that there is. We can receive the good news that life conquered death and that love is greater than all other stories. Too often, we're not ready to receive the good news into whatever other story is trying to shape us. Too often, we get frozen by the curveballs of life or we're just not paying attention, maybe because we're scrolling through our phones or whatever. And that's why we worship. Corporate worship is how the church for 2,000 years, it's how we make ourselves ready for the gifts that God offers us. Here we gather, we sing muffled, we pray, we hear Scripture. Then we entrust someone with a sermon. That's our practice. And it's all done in preparation for something we expect to happen. We expect to experience the reality of the resurrection together. Why do we expect that, you might ask? Our text for today makes it clear that the resurrected Jesus is made known to them in the breaking of the bread. These followers of Jesus gain access to resurrection reality as they offer and receive hospitality. That's the good news today. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, Jesus did. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. 
because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. They didn't know who this was. This was a stranger at this point. So Jesus went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. That invitation to stay with us is hospitality to a stranger. They didn't recognize him for whatever reason. And that hospitality led to an experience of the risen Jesus. Their eyes are opened in the breaking of the bread. And what's so great about this text is that Cleopas and the other disciple, they're trying to explain what happened to them. A lot like I'm trying to explain and talk about this with you right now. When Jesus himself showed up in their gathering with the eleven, embodying the story they were trying to tell. And, Peter, and Jesus says, peace be with you. When it happened, they were startled and terrified. And Jesus assures them, he's not a ghost. He proves it's him. And then he opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. God's love... In fact, the whole of the Bible makes sense in the midst of hospitality offered and hospitality received. Because God's in the business of forming community. You know, we might think of that God is in the business simply of judging and choosing which team might win a soccer game. That's how we talk about God sometimes. But Scripture makes clear God desires humans to love one another and to love God. That's, that's the business God is in, forming community, a community that's encountered the resurrected Jesus, and that that community would then offer hospitality to all and is willing to receive hospitality from all. This new resurrection reality, I don't think we understand this nearly as much as we could. But this new resurrection reality, experiencing the resurrection of Jesus in 2021, means forming community with all kinds of people. Young, old, poor, rich, singles, couples, different backgrounds, different political perspectives, varying sexual orientations and gender identities. God is not only known to straight white men like me, God's in relationship to all. How do we experience resurrection reality? By breaking bread among all. Our community here at First Lutheran, we try not to get caught up in figuring out who should or should not be among us. We don't ask, how old must you be to receive God's grace at baptism? We don't ask, who should qualify for communion? What gender must you be to preach the gospel? What sexual orientation must you be to lead kids on a mission trip? We know deep in our hearts that hospitality offered requires some courage. It requires some wisdom and knowledge too. Because hospitality isn't just broadly saying all are welcome. Hospitality is making all people feel welcome. But what can be even more daunting then offering hospitality, at least in my experience, is receiving hospitality from someone else. 
It can feel scary to allow ourselves to be welcomed, to be hosted by someone else, especially someone who's way different from you. That's the other side of hospitality. It's not just about offering welcome, it's about receiving welcome. And when we do, when we do let ourselves be welcomed, that's when we learn about other things that we didn't know about before. Maybe, maybe we become fans of foods we've never tasted before, or we learn about TV shows or music or games we weren't familiar with. But most importantly, as we give and receive hospitality, we hear stories that reshape our own stories. When we give and receive welcome, we start to make better sense of our own stories as we listen to other stories. We, we find that we can be transformed. We can have our hearts transformed, where instead of others being others, they become siblings in Christ. I mean, think of the people in this room. What other place would we all be in the same room? Why else would we be gathered but to worship together? And that's what we mean by saying Jesus appears amidst this kind of gathering in the breaking of the bread. Thanks be to God. Amen.